0: Hey, thanks everybody for uh, being so flexible to find us here in this new location. Um, we're only going to be here one week. This is not like the ideal place for us to be. Um, we're a little bit close to the kids. The kids are a little bit close to us. Next week we'll be back into our regular spot where we were last week, a little bigger room, separation for the kids. Um the video we just saw, Just Walk Across the Room, the growth group starts next Sunday night. It's only four weeks. Next Sunday night, it's going to meet in our home. Um, I think you'll find it pretty beneficial. I'd like for 10 people to sign up. We're, we're short of that. So um, please consider signing up uh, for Just Walk Across the Room, this growth group, about learning to share your faith. Okay, starts next Sunday. You ought to sign up. We're going to be in 1 Peter, and we have some Bibles. And if you uh, need a Bible, just slip up your hand. We'll be glad to hand them out. Our, our welcome team has uh, plenty. So grab a Bible. We're going to be on page 841, 1 Peter chapter 4. There is a fictitious manual supposedly developed for the Peace Corps, for survival. Remember I said fictitious. And um, it was. the This particular article is. What to do if you're attacked by an anaconda. Okay. And here's what it says. There are ten steps if you are attacked by an anaconda. Number one. If you are attacked by an anaconda. Do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two. Lie On the ground. Number three, put your arms tight at your sides and your legs tight against one another. Number four, the snake will begin to climb over your body. Number five, do not panic. Number six, the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet end. Number seven, step six will take a long time. Number eight, after a while, slowly, and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife out, and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth. Then suddenly, sever the snake's head. Number nine, be sure that your knife is sharp. Number, sh- number ten, be sure to carry a knife. <laughs> uh, that may not be as good as advice as it sounds. Um, The good news is there is no documented case of anacondas ever swallowing humans. That's good. Uh, The bad news is anacondas don't swallow their prey alive. They squeeze them until their heart stops. Now, this information may not be helpful uh, in your future, but being prepared for your future uh, is very important. It's a good thing. When the Apostle Peter wrote the book of 1 Peter in the first century, it was kind of a first-century survival manual. The church was beginning to face persecution for its faith. Peter writes around 62, 63 A.D. Within three years, Christians will be being put to death because they're Christians. Peter will be crucified upside down because he's a Christian. He is writing a survival manual uh, to the first century church. Uh, He's writing a survival manual for us because life brings adversity. Maybe we won't be facing death in three or four years, but we have all kinds of trials and struggles and health issues and spiritual warfare. And so today we're going to be looking at First Peter, chapter four, verses uh, one through eleven. So I want you to take out your text as we look together at first Peter, chapter four. First of all, an attitude adjustment is required when life brings adversity, make an attitude adjustment because an attitude adjustment is required Verses one through six. Uh, look at verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body. Arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. So we're to pursue the same attitude modeled by Jesus. Pursue the same attitude modeled by Jesus. And you know what? This is true whether you're facing adversity or not. To pursue the same attitude modeled by Jesus. Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Uh, Peter is, is uh, he's been talking about this in chapter 3, and he picks this up from verse 18. You may recall this from last week, First uh, Peter 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ died for sins once for all. The righteous, he's the righteous for the unrighteous. That's us. Why? Why? To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. And what we talked about last week is how Christ suffered for our good. His suffering brought good. And it was for us. Um, the command here is to arm yourselves with the same attitude. The idea is to sort of get ready, to sort of like turn on the security system so that you're ready um, in adversity and and. and to, to arm yourselves with the same attitude. And it's okay. It's like let's stop and reflect and think. Do you have that attitude right now? Are you armed with the same attitude that Jesus had? Okay. That's sort of like a question to think about. And let's follow this through now. The command is to have the same mindset as Jesus. The Apostle Paul put it this way. Uh, for Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 8. Do we have that? Do we have Philippians chapter 2? There we go. Thank you. Uh, Paul writes, he picks up on the same thing. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Same mindset. Same attitude. Same approach. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped. He had a very high position. He was with God uh, before he was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is God. He was with the Father. Uh, verse 7. But, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's what happened in Bethlehem when he was born. The God of the universe was born as a baby. Took on human flesh took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. That was Jesus' life. Obedience to the will of the Father. Even death. Even death on the cross. One of the most humiliating and humbling things for a Jewish man would be to be nailed to a cross as a curse by God and to suffer and to be a public display. One of the most humiliating things that a Jewish man could imagine. And Jesus did it to the point of death uh, for us. So that's the attitude that Jesus modeled Um He humbled himself. He operated as a servant. He was obedient with great humility, even obedience to death. The apostle also describes this attitude that identifies Jesus with crucifixion and the impact it has on his personal life. This is Galatians 2.20. We have Galatians 2.20. There we go. I've been crucified with Christ, the Apostle Paul says. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The Apostle Paul is talking about a spiritual truth that because Jesus died and because he placed his faith in Christ, there has been a spiritual transaction uh, take place. And Paul now has the possibility to overcome sin because of the death of Christ. And he and he, and he calls this, it's like a co-crucifixion. He says, I've been crucified crucified with Christ and I no longer live because now I view myself as dead to sin but Christ lives in me I'm alive with Christ in me the life I live in this body I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me that's more about having the attitude of Jesus dead to sin second Corinthians five fourteen and 15 say say this For Christ's love compels us, the Apostle Paul writes, because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, those who place their faith in Christ, those who become followers of Jesus, should no longer live for themselves but for him. That's his point. It's about having that attitude of pursuing the same attitude that Jesus had. Um, so pursue the same attitude, the model by Jesus. And verse 2, know the goal. Know the goal. And look what Peter writes. First, we're back in 1 uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 2. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. It's exactly what we've seen in Jesus. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. So, uh, just a practical question. What's, what's the goal of your life? What is it that you want out of life? What goals do you have? Is your goal to be happy? Are your goals based on your desires and your wants and your perceived needs? Human desires are normal. Uh, you and I have been created with human desires. And basically, they can be good. But they become evil when our desires lead us. To sin. Um, the attitude adjustment that Peter's talking about is to stop living for yourself and to start living to do the will of God. That's what um, Peter writes. He says, Do not live the rest of your earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. John six thirty eight, here's what Jesus said. I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This was Jesus's motivation. This was how he lived. He came to do the will of the father. And this was his compelling reason to offer you forgiveness, to offer you a spiritual birth, to offer you eternal life, to be For him to be obedient to the point of death so that we could experience these things. Verses 3 and 4. Make lifestyle choices wisely. Make lifestyle choices wisely. Look at verse 3. And here's what Paul writes. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. Then he gives a list for us living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness. Orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Peter's audience in the first century um, included a lot of adults who came to faith as adults. They had a broad background. They had broad experience with sin, perhaps like some of us. And uh, that was pretty much the norm in the first century. A lot of adults came out of a background. And he uses the word pagan, and he means those who don't know Jesus, those who come from a lifestyle where God is not honored. And he he, he uses words like debauchery. It's like living way outside of the lines, no boundaries, over-the-top, lust. He's talking about sexual lust, drunkenness, uh, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. There was idolatry would have been about pagan religion where other things were worshiped and where people bowed down and 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 sometimes seriously and intensely worshipped other things, sometimes sort of as um, a joke. You know, there was there was um, worship in pagan cities where um, there were uh, religious prostitutes and there there were sexual acts in temples and they called it. Uh, worship and that's uh, a reference here that Peter is referring to detestable idolatry and then Peter says they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you and Peter is saying you know in in the first century your friends and your co-workers have noticed that you've made a change that you no longer uh, have the party lifestyle, and and you're no no longer doing the things that you used to do, and that begins to bother them. And um, he says that they, they heap abuse on you. You know, they're critical. They laugh at the Christians for their new lifestyle and their desire to follow Christ and their desire to turn away from their old lifestyle That included sexual immorality and drunkenness and false worship. In verses five and six, uh, know that you will be accountable for all people. Know that there will be accountability for all people. Verses five and six. Let's see what Peter has to say. He says, for this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. So that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body. But. Live according, I left out verse 5. Let me go back to verse 5. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He's saying those who are making fun of you as followers of Christ will also give an account for how they live. And, and that um, God will judge the living and the dead. The spiritual alive and the spiritually dead. God will judge the physically alive and the physically dead. And then he says, for this reason, the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men regard to the body. But live according to God in regard to the spirit. And verse six, that group is about people probably who have already died, who are followers of Christ, and they will face Christ as well. Um, here's the point. As Peter talks to his audience About changes in lifestyles and about standing out as a follower of Christ. And it's about people taking notice of the way you live because you're a follower of Christ. He says, you know, it might be tempting to go back to the old life. But but he says, uh, remember, there's going to be an accountability for for everyone. There's going to be an accountability for every person. Hebrews 9.27 says this. Justice. man is destined to die once after that to face the judgment. That is true for every human being. Unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, every one of us is going to face a physical death. And every one of us, no matter when Jesus comes, is going to face a judgment. Okay? We're all going to stand before God. Um What's the competition here? (laughs) You know, one of the really practical questions is, if you were to die tonight, do you know for sure that you would go to heaven to be with the Lord? If you were to die tonight, do you know the answer? Second question. If you were to die tonight and you went to heaven and you met the Lord Jesus at the entrance of heaven and he said why should i let you into my heaven what would you say every one of us is going to stand before our judge one day and there's only one and his name is jesus every one of us will and if you had that opportunity and you had to st- uh, stand before christ in heaven and he said why should i let you into my heaven what would be your answer 2nd corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 The apostle Paul writes this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Um, Paul writes here that every Christian, this is for Christians only to be at this place. You have to be a follower of Jesus. There are no unbelievers in line here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive what's due him for things done while in the body, good or bad. This is a powerful motivation for you who are followers of Christ. How, are, how do you live? Just um, knowing that you're going to heaven. You know, like it's not about having eternal fire insurance. It's about following Jesus. And being obedient. And we're going to face Jesus. You know, let me just stop aside. You know, when I think about my life, I'm not worried about how I lived before September 29, 1974. I was an atheist and I became a follower of Jesus on that day. I'm not worried about how I lived before that. Because I know for sure Jesus died for me and paid the penalty for my sins and I'm forgiven. What worries me, what I'm concerned about is what it's going to be like when I face Jesus for how I've lived since then as a follower of Christ, because I'm still accountable. It's not about going to hell. It's not about losing salvation. It's about being rewarded, uh, evaluated for how I live now. Am I the real deal? Um, Do I honor Jesus with my life? Or am I just doing my own thing? When I stand before Jesus, I'm going to know all the answers. And and I've sort of just pictured it. I don't know what it's going to be like. I just have to use my imagination. I think I'm going to sort of get a video clip of my whole life, and it's going to take less than a second. But I am going to see what he sees, and I'm going to know what he wants me to know about my life, about how I pleased him and how I was a disappointment. All I'm saying is this is a motivation for you and I, how we live today. Okay, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 34 and also verse 41. Jesus told a parable about the future judgment. And this was a judgment about the sheep and the goats. Here's what Jesus said. When the son of man comes in his glory, he's talking about the second coming of Christ when he's going to come to judge and all the angels with him. He will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. So. Jesus is going to be positioned to judge. Next verse. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from another as a shepherd. So this is the picture here. A shepherd sh- separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance And the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He's going to assign some people to heaven right here. And he just uses the imagery of sheep. It's not like sheep are better than goats, it's just how the imagery that Jesus picks. He he could have had the people going to heaven goats, you know. Uh, Verse 41 Then he will say to those on his left, the other group Depart from you, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And I just want us to be clear, we're all going to be accountable for how we live. There are going to be some who go to heaven. If we go to heaven, we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a good thing. Jesus does care about how we live as followers of Christ. And for some who choose not to do anything about Jesus, who don't place their faith in Christ and accept the gift that he offers uh, salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. There's going to be an eternal judgment and eternal separation from God. So, we may need an attitude adjustment. Verses seven through eleven. An attitude adjustment prepares us for the future. Be clear-minded and self-controlled. Verse seven. Peter writes, "The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled." He says, as you think about the future, be, you know, they're under, they're under stress. And he's saying the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is near. You know what? For Peter, they were. And I think he has a sense of that. And the pain on the, and the stress on the church is going to be fantastic. Not only that. In 70 A.D., the Romans are going to totally destroy Jerusalem. So just a few years after Peter's death, three years after Peter's death, Romans are just going to come in and they don't care if it's Jew or Christian. They're just going to wipe him out unless you follow Caesar. Okay. Um, And I think Peter has a sense of that. And yet we're given this scripture because we are always to live as the end is near. Uh, not to go crazy, but to be serious about our walk with Christ. He says, therefore, be clear minded and self controlled, not self medicated. Now, he's not talking about, and I don't think this is, there's an application here, uh, about medication prescribed by a doctor. What I'm saying, uh, be clear minded and self controlled. And when I talk about being self-medicated, I think this is a real issue of our culture today, being self-medicated to deal with our discomfort, our pain, um, behaviors that you use to comfort yourself. Sometimes it's eating too much. Sometimes it's drinking too much. Sometimes it's using pornography. Sometimes it's taking too many pain meds to deal with what you struggle with. And... Peter says, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Why? He says, so that you can pray. So that you can pray. So you can trust God. So that you can depend on God. So that you can bring the, the stress, the trials that you're dealing with before your Heavenly Father. Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. So you can get Strength. From the one who has the answers. The Apostle Paul uh, said something like this in Colossians 4.2. When he said, devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer. Being watchful and thankful. Um, he said, don't dabble in prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. And I love the, uh, the instructions here. Being watchful. Um, Sometimes we pray and we don't watch for God to answer. Sometimes God answers, we're not paying attention. We should watch for the circumstances in our life to see what God is doing regarding our prayers. Because God does answer. We have to watch for those answers. Also, verse 8 loving each other is a top priority. And Peter writes, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. He's saying top priority, above all, love each other deeply. Um, He says love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, Peter is not saying that love is an atonement for sin. That there is salvation in just loving other people. No, he's not saying that because the only way anybody can be saved is by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying love puts up with other people's sin. Love cuts other people uh, slack when they offend you. Um, Love doesn't keep track of the score. Okay, I was nice to you. It's your turn to be nice to me. Or you weren't nice to me last time, I'm, I'm not going to love you anymore. I'm not going to be kind to you. I'm not going to be tenderhearted. I'm not going to forgive you this time. No, love covers a multitude of sin. Love is extremely powerful. Now I'm not saying you should never speak the truth in love to somebody who offends you. I'm not saying that because you should speak the truth in love. But you, you don't play games with this. Love one another uh, deeply. This is exactly what Jesus taught in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus spent three years walking with his disciples. You know, the God of the universe spent three years just walking alongside his disciples, teaching them, sharing meals with them, uh, explaining who the father is, taking time with them, being patient with them, letting them do goofy things from time to time. Um, He says, as I have loved you by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Jesus's point is that love is so powerful that uh, the world around you begin to see what Jesus is like by watching you. And that if you love one another, it attracts people to the person of Jesus, not to you, but to the person of Jesus. And, you know, this is my prayer for the bridge. That this is something we grow in because it's really hard to um, just love each other just by coming together on Sunday morning. And, you know, on Sunday morning, we should never expect that we're going to have like deep community here on Sunday morning because we don't have the place for that. That's one of the reasons why growth groups are so important for us, that we have time away from here. By the way, how many people can you see the expressions on their face right now? And, and my point is, is because you're just looking at the back of somebody else's head. And that's, you're ne- never going to have community in that kind of a setting. There's a place for this. There's a place for teaching corporately. There's a place for worship corporately. But that's not going to develop deep, loving relationships. It's, it requires face-to-face time. And um, we're going to get that in the next step. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another. Peter says, offer hospitality to one another without complaining. In the first century, they had no motel sixes or holiday inns. So it wasn't like, you know, you pull out a few bucks and you go to a nice motel and everything. The towels are clean and it's a safe environment. And they traveled in the first century. It's kind of dangerous. Uh, If you went to a holiday inn in the first century, it might be kind of like a house of prostitution with an extra room. And so Christians needed to provide homes so that when Christians traveled through, there was a safe place for them to go. And that was kind of normal, like when Peter would travel or Paul would travel, they needed a safe place. And uh, Peter is telling us to offer hospitality without grumbling. When we think about hospitality in our culture, hospitality is so important in the church, By the way, in the first century, they meant house to house. Just like I said, you look at you look at everybody in the room. All you see is the back of somebody's head. Hospitality is about seeing people face to face. Hospitality can be a cup of coffee for two hours, sitting, sitting down and just getting to know each other. Hospitality could be inviting somebody into your home. Maybe you don't know them. And you just spend a little bit of time getting to know each other, learning about your stories. That's hospitality. Sometimes it might be opening your home for a night. And there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have a big house to have hospitality. You know that? We we, we often just think, well, I don't, have what, I don't have a nice enough place or I don't have a big enough place. Or... No, it's just being hospitable. And, and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money either. But... This is something uh, that it's important to us, that um, we learn to be hospitable. And uh, we come to verses 10 and 11. It's the last section. Serve each other with your spiritual gifts. Release God's grace, which is God's favor. Um, Serve each other with your spiritual gifts. Look what Peter says in verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in various forms. Peter is talking about spiritual gifts. What is a spiritual gift? A spiritual gift is a God-given ability to serve and to build up the body of Christ. It's God-given. It's supernatural. It comes from God. I believe it's given when you place your faith in Christ. On September 29th, 1974, about 4.30 in the morning, I placed my faith in Christ and I received spiritual gifts. I didn't know what they were. I've been spending the rest of my life learning about those spiritual gifts, abilities that I didn't have before, abilities that were given to me on the day I placed my faith in Christ. It took me four or five years to figure out that maybe pastor teacher was an area that I should focus in. And um it's had no, I had no ability to lead or teach before, and I was extremely fearful of public speaking. in fact, i would I could have a heart attack about public speaking before that's how nervous I was about public speaking. Some of you think maybe I should have a heart attack about public speaking, but um Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. There are several lists. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4 have lists of spiritual gifts. Um, God has given us spiritual gifts so that when we serve. Now think about this. This is really important. When we serve, God's grace can be administered through us to the rest of the body. God's grace, his favor. His favor. Whatever God wants to do can be released when we serve. Okay? And it's everybody. It's not just somebody standing up teaching the Bible. It's everybody. When somebody serves, when you walk in on Sunday morning and somebody serves at the hospitality table or serves handing out a program or serves with graphics, or serves with the sound system, or serves on the worship team, if they're walking with Christ, Peter is saying they can administer grace to the rest of the body. Imagine what it's like if everybody strengthened us because they were serving in the power of Christ. Each one should use whatever gift he has received, and God is the one who determines the gift. He's, he's already determined the gifts that you have. And they're not going to change. You, you may have not discovered every one of them yet. Verse 11, if, if anyone speaks, a speaking gift, he should do it as, in, as one speaking the very words of God. Should be careful what he says. Should ask God to guide him. Ask God for wisdom. If anyone serves, Peter writes in verse 11, he should do it with the strength God provides. Not in, your own, not in your own energy, not in your own strength, not doing your own thing, not zoning out. I can just do this. I don't have to be asking God for help. No. With the strength of God. If you do it with the strength of God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. When you serve in the power of Christ, God is honored and God is praised. And and Peter just makes a a uh, categorizing speaking gifts and serving gifts. And he just says, we need to do this in the strength of God. Um, So Galatians 513. He says, you, my brothers, this is Paul writing to the Galatians. You were called to be free. This is kind of appropriate on the 4th of July weekend when we think about freedom. You were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. Don't use the freedom you have because Christ has set you free. You're forgiven. The power of sin has been taken away if you place your faith in Christ. And so you have freedom. Don't use that freedom to indulge in the sinful nature. When we think about American freedom, we usually think about our rights. I am very grateful to be an American. I am very grateful for the rights I have. I have the right to choose uh, my religion in America. I have the right, I have freedom of speech in America. I can say just about whatever I want here in this country. Um, I recently read about freedom in Iraq and how freedom has affected their country. It's the same kind of freedom we have in our country. In Iraq, they now have the freedom and to... Um, uh, one one uh, young man was interviewed in, in Iraq because of what's happened since uh, In the last seven or eight years. For $1.50, you can get a young female for 15 minutes in a hotel room. Prostitution. For $0.70, cents, you can see... A pornographic video could never do that before but because of freedom you can do that today in Iraq and my point there's freedom not used well for for us as a follower of Christ we were called to be free we aren't we weren't called for entitled rights we were called to be free to live for Jesus and uh, just a just a quick I, I love that I'm American and I, and I love that we have this country and that and God has provided this. But may I never confuse my patriotism with following Christ, because Jesus is way above my rights as American citizen. And I may sacrifice my rights to please Jesus. I may give up all my rights to please Jesus. I don't want to use my rights as American I can indulge in those things. I can say whatever I want in America, right? Just about. That could dishonor God. Don't use our freedoms to indulge the sinful nature. Okay, Romans chapter 3, verse, uh, chapter 12, verses 3 through 7. Here's a passage on spiritual gifts. Uh, I'm going to go through it real quickly. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, and he's talking about gifts, grace gifts, spiritual gifts given by God. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Um, you're not don't make, if you have a leadership gift, for example, don't think you're more important than somebody else. Uh, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Next verse. Just as each of us has Has one body with many members, all these members do not have the same function. So it is in Christ. We who are many form one body. And so he's talking about the church, the body of Christ. There are many of us here, but there's only one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, spiritual gifts, God given abilities for the purpose of building up the church, not building up ourselves, but it's for the church, for the body of Christ. According to the grace given, if a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. it. If it's teaching, let him teach. That's an example of spiritual gifts and using them to serve the body of Christ. Last passage is Ephesians 4, 7. Another passage talks about spiritual gifts. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He's talking about spiritual gifts. It's a whole Context of this passage right here, spiritual gifts. Each one of us, you have a spiritual gift. As a follower of Christ, you have a spiritual gift. You may not know what they are. You may know, but you have one. And Christ is the one who apportioned it. He handed it out. And just jumping down to the end of the passage in verse 16, from him, from Christ, the whole body, the church, we, the members of Joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's what I wanted you to see. Each part does its work. So if you go on break for six months from the body of Christ, the body of Christ suffers. Something's not working. We need you to walk with Christ. Christ. To serve. To be a part. we got to be more than Sunday morning. Peter closes this out in verse 11. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. What does it say? Amen. Amen.